Get the inside scoop on the biggest NBA news and hear from the stars on and off the court on the Woj Pod. Listen wherever you get your podcast. Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective Podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we are doing on Thursday afternoon. Joining us from New York City, where he is covering the Knicks versus the Bulls game tonight, is Tim Bonteps. Hello, fellas. <laughs> and that booing is coming from Dallas. Just back from Salt Lake City, it's Ben McMahon. Howdy, partners. I had a 15-hour um, a uh, trip to Phoenix this week. And the reason it was 15 hours is because in 20 years of taking, you know, like 100 flights a year, something happened that has never happened to me before. And I'm not all about talking about travel delay stories or whatever, because I know nobody cares. But this was this was one for for the ages for me. I was flying in the day of the Suns Warriors game to go to that game, which was really enjoyable to, to attend. And they get to play again on Friday. Um and I was delayed for like eight or nine hours. And they finally, after all that, said, okay, the flight's not leaving until tomorrow at 6.30, essentially mm. canceling the flight. So I told my bosses, I told other people, I'm not going to make it to Phoenix. Uh, I'm sitting there like sending out texts, just sitting there at the gate because I mean, I'm not in a super hurry now because I thought I was going to be gone for a day. And then the pilot comes down the jetway and back out to the gate area and goes, I don't know what they're talking about. I'm flying this plane to Phoenix. They want to come with me. They can come with me. And like five, seven minutes later, the, they open the jetway and they say, okay, we're boarding after well, eight he, hours. That the pilot, pilot said, you know what? I need Wendy's coverage. I was going to say, Warriors. we have like, a very this important is, this person a, on this plane. We got to get him to a, Phoenix. We got to get him in the building. This is as big an early season game as it gets in the NBA. We need Wendy there. The pilot uncanceled the flight. The pilot's like, no, no, no. It's not canceled. You don't the say it's canceled. I say whether it's canceled. The pilot probably wanted to go see Warriors Sons. No, the pilot lives in Phoenix. If you want the real answer, it had been on yeah. the road for a week. He's like, he I'm going to, home. The hell with I'm not going home at 630 in the morning. I'm going home right now. So the 20 of us who are still left got on that plane. Okay. We we're going to talk about other stuff to start, but shouldn't we talk about that game for a minute? Um. I suppose, although it's going to feel dated, this, this is coming. I guess they're playing again. Well, they're playing, we got them on our air tomorrow. Today, today, today. it'll be our our, our today. Yeah, that's right. Um, Well, let me just say that um, I really enjoyed the game. Both teams are continuing to play at a high level, although Steph Curry had a one of the worst shooting games of his career that night. He was 421. If you go back and look, he's, I think, never in his career of almost 700 games taken 20 shots and shot under 20%. Um, so, you know, it was not exactly like, um, it was power on power that said Devin Booker got hurt mm-hmm. in the game. He's going to miss Friday's game. Um, but the Suns um, came in to the week. I don't have it exactly in front of me because I didn't prepare for this discussion. Bontemps, this is you hijacking the pod. Yet again. You prepare for discussions. I know it's hard to tell sometimes. Um, they were a couple of days ago, number three in the league in defense. And uh, they held the Warriors to under 20 points in two of the four quarters. And uh, Mikhail Bridges was terrific on Curry, but no, no one person covers Curry because he's constantly moving. In some possessions, three guys will be on him. Sometimes there's even like they're helping and like four people are involved on Curry in one possession. So team-wide, they played really good defense. And I will say that Phoenix, having won 17 in a row, they do play Detroit tonight. So I don't know whether they'll win and it'll be 18 i you know i'm not gonna i'll, I'll, I'll get i'll get my wager in <laughs> um uh they're playing terrific defense the best defense i've ever seen the phoenix suns play since i've covered the nba so yeah um, and, and and bridges is a huge part of that i mean ayton's the anchor you know chris paul's a, a obviously has been a great defensive player in the league for a long time, but Bridges legitimately is on the, if you're going to have a premature short list for defense player of the year, he, he needs to be on that. Uh, so versatile, so long. And, you know, he's just, uh, yes, Steph Curry had an off night. No question about it. I mean, he, against that defense, he, you know, there's going to be games where he'll go 12, 21, just because he's that good. But, Bridges made, I mean, he made it difficult for him to get the ball. 
much less, you know, get shot. So, uh, you know, I tweeted one of the most impressive, most impactful two point performances you'll ever see in the NBA. Yeah, no question. He was awesome. I was going to mention that tweet. If you didn't, that was spot on. Cause he, like you, you guys said Steph struggled, but he struggled in large part because Phoenix was all over and made his life miserable, miserable all game long. And the other thing about that game is those two teams, the Suns and Warriors have very specific strengths. I mean, they have a lot of strengths, but they're very, they have two specific kind of knockout punches. Golden state comes out in the third quarter and obliterates teams. Mm-hmm. And Phoenix is unbelievable in the clutch as Brian wrote yep. about the other day, wrote a great story on their ability to, be successful in clutch time going back to when they got Chris Paul, not coincidentally, who's pretty much always been great in clutch time throughout his career last season. Well, the third quarter with Devin Booker out, the score was tied 24, 24 in the third quarter. So Phoenix survived golden States usual rally in the third quarter. And then in the final five minutes, they went on, I believe a 10, one run and blew the game open when it was a one point game with five minutes to go. So, you know, that, to me, that was a pretty big statement from Phoenix not only to come back and win that game without Booker, but to do it the way they did kind of with their signature finish at the end. I, I thought it was an incredibly impressive, impressive performance all the way around. Yeah. And there's the, the, the Suns have eliminated any kind of well strength of schedule. No, no, they've beaten, they have beaten the, uh, the nets in Brooklyn. They've beaten, you know, the, the warriors and we'll see what happens Friday night, but regardless for a team coming off a finals appearance to go on this kind of a winning streak with some, I mean, about as high quality, wins as you can get like there's no way you can nitpick the suns as a bona fide championship contender at this point also deandre Ayton, and he doesn't always play the same way so it's um even as good as he was in the playoffs last year you still can't count on him to give the same effort game to game maybe the effort's the wrong word because he does play hard but like the same aggression game to game mm-hmm. but if he plays with the kind of aggression like he was like i am going to get post position and i am going to seal my defender and i am going to attack and if you know the warriors were out there trying to put uh nemanja bilica on him and he ate his lunch and yeah. they're trying to you know put draymond on him and you know he he has trouble draymond has trouble as he should against uh Aiden. and Aiden, you know kicked Aiden's their a huge it's guy like, and he played like a huge guy also Aiden is in tremendous condition yeah. He is just in he he beats his guy down the floor even when the other team's playing small and um he is in as good a shape as you're going to see a man of that size be in. Uh, I really really do believe that. And it shows up. It shows up in the way he can get out in the perimeter um and defend because he, you know even on Curry there were switches and he he got out there and was trying to get in front of Curry um who I talked on the pod earlier this week about how how heavy I think Steph Curry he's not heavy that's the wrong word how much weight Steph's Curry has added and um, this week was the first time I saw Steph in person since pre-pandemic obviously I've watched him on TV a ton but it's the first time I've seen him in person uh, and he is he is easily I say 205 2 to 205 and he's listed at 185 mm-hmm. and he's been listed at 185 for 10 years but if you go look at a picture of Steph Curry in 2021 and a picture of Steph Curry in 2016, forget about 2010. I'm talking about even when they were winning their titles, they don't look like the same guy. Steph Curry has added so much bulk um, to, to be more effective. But anyway, that's here nor there. Um, those are the two things I took away from seeing <laughs> that game was, boy, is Aiden in great shape. And I've seen a couple of Suns games this year, but really noticed it in that game. So Aiden is going to be somebody that the Warriors are going to have to think about how they're going to defend. Yeah, and, 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 uh, and Aiden deserves a ton of credit um, because we all wondered how he was going to handle the Suns basically saying, eh, you ain't a max player, uh, play it out, whatever. Yep. You know, we wondered, would he be the same guy in terms of uh, effort? Would he be the same guy in terms of willingness to do the dirty work? You know, would he be a guy who suddenly got really concerned about, well, no, I need touches, this, that, and the other. I mean, I'm impressed with, with how he's – with the maturity that he's shown. I think you do have to give Chris Paul some credit for leadership. And then, you know, again, Monty Williams obviously was a coach of the year candidate last year. I don't see how he couldn't be considered the early front runner at this point. Okay. Yep. I've been around the Suns quite a bit this year because, as we've talked about, <clears throat> I was around them for a long time many days um, leading into the Sarver story coming out. And I did another piece last week. And then just this week I was there. I'm going to tell you something about the Suns. 
uh, this team. I can't speak about the organization or whatever, but this team, they don't bleep around. Okay. There is an extraordinarily accountability that exists on within that team. If somebody screws up, they talk to him about it and they deal with it right then and there. Chris Paul goes right to, right at Monty Williams face to face when he doesn't like something. Monty Williams goes at Chris Paul. Devin Booker is the same way. And, you know, they used to yell at uh, Aiton. Aiton was a guy they used to chirp at, you know, like the way that LeBron used to treat Mario Chalmers. Mm -hmm. That's not the, I mean, maybe, it, I mean, I'm not in the locker room every day, but I don't see that anymore. I see an equal partner there. And when you talk to these guys, like when you talk to, to Mikhail Bridges, when you talk to Aiton, when you talk to Jay Crowder, these are men who are focused on what they're doing and they are not messing around that game. I mean, they were happy to win that game. You know, Monty isn't really Monty's usually pretty all business. Monty was, you know, he let it, he let his, uh, his guard down a little bit post game. You can see he was really happy with it. I don't want to make mm -hmm. it sound like they didn't care, but they are an all business team. Now the warriors are awesome and they're about to get awesomer because here comes clay Thompson, but I'm telling you, I'm very, very impressed with the way the Suns handle their business and boy, do you see it on the defensive end. And here's something yep. else I'm going to say. Whatever Chris Paul's numbers are for a game, they are completely, they do not indicate at all his value. I know that this is not breaking news, but when you watch Chris Paul very closely, especially when you're in the arena and you can watch everything that he's doing on the bench, you can watch everything that he's doing, setting up guys. He is, you know, you know what it reminds me of? Bontemps, you were there for this. When Jason Kidd came into the Knicks that one year, yep, and he turned him into from a, like a 30-win team to a 50-win team, and then he became yep. the coach of the Nets the next year. Chris Paul has that kind of all-encompassing effect on the game at all times. I, I know. But, I know, but he's a this. much better player than Kidd at that point. Of he's course. a much better player. Yes. But it's the same. And, it's a similar culture change, though. And, and it's it's the same thing Jason Kidd did with the Brook, with the now then New Jersey Nets 20 years ago. He came to I'm a team you, that was more abundant, turned it into a finals team, be, just basically by the sheer power of his force of personality and play on the court. More I'm telling you right now, word. Chris Paul should Your be word an of the MVP. Day, McMahon. Chris Paul should be an MVP candidate. Well, Brian, the straw poll is coming back next week. Oh. So maybe maybe he'll be on the ballot. Maybe he'll be on your ballot. We'll see. Uh, Chris and Paul should be an MVP candidate. I, I do think, and I mentioned Aiton's maturity, you know, we can talk about Booker, Bridges, like that whole young core. Obviously, they were starved to win. The way they've responded to Chris Paul's leadership style, I think, yep. you know, speaks uh, well of them. Because let's be honest, Chris Paul annoyed the hell out of people out of his teammates with the Clippers. It got to the point where there was a whole lot of eye rolling and hell, DeAndre Jordan was ready to leave because he was so tired of Chris Paul. He annoyed the hell out of James Harden to the point where the Rockets made one of the worst trades in recent NBA history to get rid of him. Um, and, you know, he, hey, you know, people think, well, the second year we'll see. Mm, these guys are, they're, maybe, they're all in. Maybe it's like, um, you know, some of the European soccer. I can't remember. I don't know who to give credit to for saying this, but like this. Ted Lasso? <laughs> Ted Lasso. That's exactly this is exactly correct, uh, McMahon. They say that like uh, you know a, 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 any team should only have a coach for three years. There's like mm -hmm. a three year window, and anything maybe only should have Chris Paul on your team for three years. But guess what? This is year two. The Rockets. It was <laughs> so, like a year and a half. <laughs> right. Right. This is you also say this is year two, and um, nobody's pushing back like Harden. These guys no. are in line. No, and being around them a little bit last week, too, the, the team they've remind me of, and I thought about this while you were talking, Brian, is that Spurs team from 2013-14 that lost in the finals and came back sort of on a mission to turn things around and, and win the title the next year when they thought got away from them. And it, it is just really impressive to see the Suns team sort of methodically just go through these games, game after game after game, and just stay focused on the task in front of them. Just monotonously going forward and saying, all right, we got to get the next game. We got to get the next game. We got to get the next game. And they're, they're deep and versatile and can guard big and guard small. And I mean, you know, like you said, the Warriors are great and Clay's coming back and they're going to be a force to be reckoned with, but so are the Suns. And I just hope these two teams are healthy because it, you know, if they, if they square off in a playoff series, you know, Western conference finals, potentially it's got a chance to be a hell of a matchup between. The you know what else happened in that game? 
both teams threw some wrinkles at the other at the other that they weren't expecting. The Warriors pulled out a type of zone that um, I'm not smart enough to be able to tell you the what the thing is, but um, I saw Mike Brown, Mike Brown, the Warriors assistant. He he makes the defensive signals. He started calling this play. He called it three or four times in a row in the second quarter, and it totally confused the Suns. And Monty had to take time out. And but they hadn't really run that, to my knowledge. The, the Suns weren't expecting it. I'll put it that way. And then the Suns, typically, they don't switch all their players when they play switch on pick and roll. Usually, Aiton drops in coverage. Mm-hmm. They ran full switch. So when the Warriors would call plays, expecting Aiton to drop. In other words, we're, we're going to put Aiton in a pick and roll with Curry, and Curry's going to shoot a three that's going to be uncontested because Aiton's going to drop. No, Aiton came up and switched onto Curry. And it's interesting to me that the teams did that. Number one, playing each other three times in three weeks and doing it so early in the season. Because um, I, I, uh, I was joking with Steve Kerr before the game. Um, I go, listen, this is like the biggest November game of NBA history. If you guys lose, we're going to kill you. And he goes, yeah, and if we win, we're going to have champagne. We've already got it. He was joking <laughs> about that. But they actually did roll out some game plan stuff like this game, you know, it, it mattered. Um, so anyway, after the game, I'm in the hallway, we can't go in the locker rooms right now for COVID, but I'm in the, I'm in the hallway outside the locker room and I see the Suns or the uh, warriors are getting COVID tested as a team. The whole team had to go through a COVID test before they got on their plane back home. And I was thinking, I didn't think they were doing COVID testing, uh, at all right now, unless you were symptomatic. So that surprised me. Um, and then I looked into it and I guess this was public, but I missed it. Um, that after Thanksgiving, the league, um, asked for all teams to, to do COVID testing for four days, four days of testing, which I think started on Saturday, Saturday through Tuesday or Sunday through Wednesday. And so that's why I think you're seeing some, some more positive, some increase in positives, and you're getting some guys who are asymptomatic testing positive like LeBron, who, he is asymptomatic according to Anthony Davis and, um, you know, put out that tweet on Wednesday. Maybe we'll have clarity on it by the time this podcast posts. Maybe we won't. He said, you know, he said basically something's fishy, which I don't know what it means, but I can guess about that. Um, uh, we also had Austin Rivers uh, th- via Doc. What did he say, uh, Bontemps, last night that he, he was he was asymptomatic and that it hit him like a ton of bricks? Yeah, Doc said at first Austin was feeling fine and wondering, you know, if he maybe had a, I think he might've said he had wonder if he had a false positive or something, but he, he was feeling fine. Then all of a sudden he felt terrible and, right. and, and really didn't feel good at all. Right. And he, and he probably got caught because they were doing this testing and they caught it before he was symptomatic, which is the idea so that you don't spread it. So um, anyway, uh, I just would, wanted to point that out. Cause I just saw, I don't really want to talk about what I really want to talk about is tampering. And we're 20 minutes in and we, we I want to talk about the tampering. So, um, Adam Silver the, didn't. Right. So the NBA, so I've, I've been filibustering, so I'm just going to get out of your guys' way, and then I'm going to have my say. Obviously, the NBA announced after four months their tampering investigation results. They are finding the bull, not finding or whatever. They're taking away the Bulls and Heat second-round pick for tampering in the Lonzo Ball trade and the Kyle Lowry sign-and-trade, both sign-and-trades back in August. McMahon? I will let you have your thoughts. And I, will get I out mean, of the way. give me a break. Okay. It's like the big bad wolf huffs and puffs and blows the house down. The NBA league office huffs and puffs and, and couldn't blow out a baby's freaking the can on a baby's birthday cake. What, <laughs> I mean, what are we doing here? Oh, a, 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 what'll be a late second round pick years down the road. Ooh, that'll stop them. Geez. I wonder if they'd have been willing to throw that into the sign and trade, by the way, to get freaking Kyle Lowry, who's obviously had a, a major impact and Lonzo ball. Who's been a huge piece of probably the, the most pleasantly surprising team in the, uh, in the NBA. I mean, let's. They need to stop pretending that they're going to come down hard on tampering or you know jumping the gun or because this is really more jumping the gun than it is tampering. Everybody's doing it. Tweak the rules so we don't have to pretend this crap doesn't happen on a every team every year basis. Like, and four months. To, oh, well, this happened. Well, no crap. 
It took them four months to do that. I need to go into the investigation business because if you can like get four months of billable hours to come up with that, that seems like pretty good business. As the wife, or as my my wife is a lawyer, I almost said the wife as the wife of a lawyer, as the husband of a lawyer, I can tell you this is a big part of the law business is taking a very long time to do things. So this is <laughs> yeah. this is this is this, is, this doesn't even even rate on the scale it, for for some for some lawyers saying it only took four months. Well, you could have squeezed that out to nine or ten. Yeah, I mean, look, McMahon summed this up very nicely. This was a PR situation that the NBA decided they wanted to put themselves in uh, when Adam Silver at a press conference I was at a couple of years ago got up and announced that the league was going to be coming after teams who were uh, talking to players ahead of time and, you know, engaging in, uh, you know, illegal contact with players ahead of free agency. And I mean, look, the fact that they spent four months, as McMahon said, to deliver a future second round pick of some sort uh, because the Bulls have traded so many picks that you don't even know when the pick is going to be given. Right. Uh, for Alonzo Ball, who has been awesome and has totally turned around the franchise that was more of him before that, to use his man's favorite word again. And for Kyle Lowry to go to Miami and be awesome there, these teams would do that in a millisecond. And yes. look, the NBA has been soft on all sorts of things, right? Uh, you know, as we've joked about on the pod before and Adam Silver's NBA, uh, things are uh, pretty good for the players. You know, the, the disciplinary penalties have certainly come down on incidents. We saw the whole, uh, you know, thing last week with Isaiah Stewart and LeBron. People were all wound up that LeBron got one game for hitting a guy with a closed fist in the face. If David Stern had been doing that, he might have got 10 games. That's Mac like, 10's music. Well, I'm just saying, like, it, this isn't <laughs> David Stern's NBA anymore, right? This is Adam Silver's NBA. And in Adam Silver's NBA, the rules are lax across the board. And I think to your point, McMahon, what the NBA got itself in trouble here doing was acting like they were going to come in yes. and storm the gates and do something to these teams. And look there, I, I don't know. You guys talk to people around the league. I talked to people around the league. There was expectations from different teams around the league that there was going to be some kind of severe penalty, whether there was going to be a first round pick, whether there's going to be some sort of suspension, it's a very popular discussion point with executives over the last two, three months. Hey, yeah. have you heard this? Have you heard that? I heard they're going to get this. I heard yeah. they're going to get that. Like what wasn't well, ever and, and, said was one second round pick that was right. never said. And the Adam off. Silver made a big production. Oh, you know, the fines can go up to $10 million a couple years ago, cranked up the, the, the max fines. He didn't find them a nickel, not one nickel. And again, I don't give a cr like this is happening all the time. Stop trying to pretend like you're going to come down hard. Sheriff Adam Silver fires with a water pistol, not even a super soaker. A little squirt, squirt, squirt water pistol is, is, is his weapon. So that it is what it is. Just don't, you know, huff and puff and, you know, put on your Halloween costume uh, of the sheriff and act like it's a real badge. Okay. I'm going to apologize in advance for this filibuster I'm about to go on. You can check me if you guys want to, but I am barreling through. <laughs> Let me just say this. What is the basic reason for the tampering rules to be in effect? It is for fairness, right? Mm -hmm. The concept that there's fairness. Um, so the NBA, say. the NBA and Adam Silver especially is concerned about the perception of fairness. They talk about competitive balance and things like this. Okay. The concept is that teams that shouldn't be able to poach players and let's be honest, there's only certain teams that are going to be able to get players in free agency. And so really what this is, is saying that the free agent destination teams, I don't want to still even say big markets because Miami isn't really a big market, but they are glamour markets, glamour markets for sure. So today, Thursday morning, Rob Manfred, the commissioner of Major League Baseball, they just had a lockout begin today. He gave a press conference and he said the following on the record in front of microphones at a press conference. I'm going to read the quote. I think that most people who understand the game realize that in our smaller markets, it's a lot harder to win than it is in our bigger markets. Now, that is a very basic statement. It is a very it is a, it is a rational statement. It is an obvious statement. You would never hear Adam Silver say that. 
even though it's true in the NBA as well. And so what this, what I am sitting here and saying, you know, when I was in my teens and twenties, I got really upset and disillusioned with baseball because I was a Cleveland Indians, now Cleveland Guardians fan. And I watched them develop these players, Albert Bell, Jim Tomey, Manny Ramirez, you know, CC Sabathia. And they would have them for a few years and they would go off and they would sign in New York or Philadelphia or LA or whatever. And I got very, very upset about it. And then I grew up and I became, you know, a rational thinking person and realized that that, that the game is unfair. And I had to come to terms with the fact that being unfair, that the road that they traveled is that, 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 that some teams travel in baseball is not the same. It's just reality. And that is the reality of the NBA. But the difference between it is in baseball and in basketball is that the NBA doesn't admit that. The NBA pretends like that's not true. Now, there is a salary cap that exists, so it's a little easier of a way to, to say that that is, is more true in the NBA. But it's just as true in the NBA as is baseball, salary cap or no. And, and, that, and it has been true for a long time. And that's why when you look at the Milwaukee Bucks and them winning the title, you go, wow, man, congratulations. You won in Milwaukee. What an amazing accomplishment. You know, the Bucks hadn't been there in 40 years. They hadn't been to the finals in 40 years. They got back and they won. For the first time in three years, I got to Cleveland last week and I saw the renovation of the arena there that they did leading up to this All-Star game. It's this uh, winter. That arena is spectacular. It's 25 years old and looks brand new. It's got great clubs. It's got all this great artwork in it now. It's great. It's, it's something Cleveland should be proud of. I walked around the whole arena. I didn't see one commemoration of the 2016 championship. And I say, you guys, this is a mistake. You guys should have an entire side of the building celebrating the 2016 championship. The Cavs have won one championship. This is their 51st year. They may not win another for 50 years. The city of Cleveland has won one championship in 55 years. That's correct. So this is what I'm saying. It's an inherent unfairness that exists. And so for the, and this, look, we talk, we have, we have two podcasts a week and we talk about, you know, Phoenix Suns pick and roll defense. And we talk about, you know, this trade or that trade. I mean, we get into the nitty gritty, but in the grand scheme of things, it's unfair. The Lakers have an advantage that exists that the Milwaukee Bucks do not have. And so every year that the Memphis Grizzlies finish ahead of the Los Angeles Lakers, it's a great accomplishment for the Grizzlies, but you're not allowed really to say that because it's not implied that way. They made a movie about Billy Bean. No one's making a movie about Brian Cashman, the, the general manager of the. It's a lot of baseball talk on a, t- a podcast where okay. we talk about the NBA. I don't even like baseball that much anymore. But my baseball's point is, in a lockout. We're still who is Brian Cashman? Right. Okay. Brian Cashman is the GM of the Yankees. For listeners First, who aren't sure who that is, okay. just so you know. Right. All right. So they're not making movies about John Horst. <laughs> okay. They're making a show about. Uh, there's a show coming up about, about the Lakers. Listen, so, Daryl Moore. Daryl Morey might uh, write a play about himself, though. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, okay, that was my filibuster in saying that Tampa filibuster is, Posey for another little baseball reference there for you. Uh, you didn't fine. like that one. <laughs> he just he just retired. <laughs> I, uh, that's my thing about tampering is that free agency is unfair. It was unfair ten years ago. It'll be unfair in ten years. Well, and. In- the NBA pretending that it's trying to be fair is just pretending. And That's who right. are you fooling? This whole thing is pretending. Anybody. That's right. This whole thing is pretending. That's the thing. That's the thing that's so ridiculous about it. Like I just I went and looked up the transcript from the Board of Governors press conference in New York that I was at a couple of years ago, and the whole press conference was Adam Silver talking about all the things they were going to do to try to limit teams from having illegal contact with players. The truth is, the league had the league in concert with our network had a. Uh, six o'clock primetime show to have the start of free agency then instead of having it start at midnight. Now the league will say, oh, well, we did this because our teams didn't want to have to do stuff at midnight or nine o'clock Pacific time. And it was a disadvantage for East Coast teams. That's all fine. The other reason they did it 
was so that we could have a show talking about big free agent signings that, that they want that are happening the second that the thing that's right. opens like they want boom, people boom, talking boom, 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 that's boom. right they want people talking about what's going on in the league not just waiting around to see what's going to happen so again this whole this whole thing is a song and dance to satisfy pr concerns about fairness which as brian said all this is unfair there's a reason that you know, Lakers fans have a feel they have a birthright to be in the finals. It's because they've been in the finals a million times because right. guys want to go play in L.A. Yeah, and and guys the, don't want to play in Milwaukee and Cleveland. That's why LeBron James went from a team that went to the finals four years in a row to the Lakers after they'd had several years of being terrible. Like guys are going to always want to go to L.A. It's just the way it is. And when when you're worried about a small market bias, when you punish the Bucks more harshly for a sign and trade that didn't happen, a premature sign and trade that didn't end up happening, then you do the bowls and heat for sign and trades that have significantly improved their teams. Uh, you know, I think it's just hard to hard to wrap your head around that one. You know, uh, uh, so he really, I mean, f- f- I don't know why the NBA did investigation on these two deals. The speculation, I, I don't know this for sure, but the speculation is because um, Shams Tarania from the athletic tweeted the the news of the Lonzo ball deal one minute before six o'clock. That's the speculation. Okay. Um, And that really it's more about that. It made the NBA look bad that it was, that it's okay to say it at six Oh five, but not at again, again, that's a PR and perception issue. So, right. Okay. So that's fine. So let me, again, there's a perception rather than the reality. That's right. So, one thing I don't understand is um, Chris Haynes from Yahoo, our former, um, our former uh, colleague at ESPN. He had an interview with DeMar DeRozan in mid-November. And in this interview, on the record, DeMar DeRozan, who I find an, an excellent upstanding citizen in the NBA, a man of high character. And always been a great interview. For sure. Um, he is talking about how he thought he was going to be going to the Lakers when he became a free agent this last season. And this is a quote that he told Chris Haynes, quote, I felt like I was going to the Lakers and it was a done deal and we were going to figure it out. I was going to come home. And in this story, Haynes says his agent, Aaron Goodwin, worked feverishly behind the scenes with the San Antonio Spurs front office to get details ironed out on what would have been a sign and trade package to send the 13-year veteran to his hometown team. And the deal didn't happen because they instead did a deal for Russell Westbrook. But Westbrook was traded at the draft. So the inherent thing about this whole story is that the San Antonio Spurs, the upstanding citizens of the NBA, DeMar DeRozan, upstanding citizen of a player, he says openly talking about how they were trying to get a sign and trade done a week before the draft or, or at the draft a week before free agency. And nobody said boo about this. Because it's just assumed because nobody cares about tampering. I mean, you don't see Adam Silver calling for Greg Popovich's cell phone. Pop, turn over your cell phone. They made Masai Ujiri turn over his cell phone. Pop's probably got a flip phone anyways. I don't even know if you need to get anything <laughs> off of that. So actually, he, he has a, an iPhone because twice during the finals, people put their, or during the uh, Olympics, people put their iPhones up to record Popovich and, and Popovich took their phones thinking they were his happened hmm. twice, which would have been amazing if you, if he had just taken um, a reporter's phone. So um, no one's saying anything about that. Uh, no one was saying that that's a perception issue, even though it's very clearly everybody's, everybody's clearly negotiating before the, the buzzer, which of course you have to, otherwise you're, you're behind. And so that's, that's my thing. I, it, 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 once you come to the understanding that, it's not about fairness. This is all much easier to handle. It's all just like, okay, that's the way it is. You're going to have your player for seven or eight years, and then he's going to try to go to a big market. Do your best for those seven or eight years. Um, once you come to terms with it, and you understand that the Oakland A's are going to compete against the Yankees on different planes for the same title, things go fine. But it, but just what irritates me is the hypocrisy of trying to say it's fair. Okay. Um, that's enough on that. I- I'm sorry. Uh, it is what it is. Something happened um, Tuesday that hasn't happened in 11 years. 
uh, Bontemps already knows because he helped me look up the stat. McMahon, and this is in the NBA. Do you know what that was? Our ace researcher, Matt Williams, looked up the stat. Give him full credit. Okay. Something happened Tuesday that hasn't happened in 11 years. Oh, it was actually right. Wednesday, but. You're right. I'm sorry. Correct, Bontemps. It was Wednesday. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hitch, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's ever up there, whether it's the roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit DirecTV.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Vivid Seats wants you to get to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seat Rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code HOOP. That's code HOOP, H-O-O-P. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. I have no idea. McMahon's a Western Conference guy. He does not, he does not pay attention to the East. Okay. I pay attention, but come on, give me a little bit of credit. <laughs> I'm just I'm just giving you I'm just giving you a pass. Those games start the, early the though. Stat. <laughs> they do. Um the Cleveland Cavaliers won in Miami. Oh, I did see that. I did see that. I was actually they, a little surprised that they, so they didn't win during LeBron's return. Oh, no, they, they oh, no, they back. did not. No, they did yeah. not. No. That that was the thing that mildly surprised me. The last time they won in Miami was LeBron's last year, first time around in Cleveland. Right, right. And they won, and LeBron after the game was so jacked up about the Heat honoring Michael Jordan. Um, by retiring his number, which the Heat have actually retired Michael Jordan's number. They turned the, they've turned the light off on. I, I haven't been to Miami in a game in a few years, but back when I was there, they would the, Jordan's number was in the was in the Raptors, and they didn't light it up like their other numbers. But Jordan's number twenty three is retired by the Heat, and um, and LeBron was inspired by the Miami Heat having done that, even though they did it years before. That after that game. He called for all number twenty-three to be retired everywhere in the NBA. If you may remember that, mm. um, in which Pat Riley was probably like, "Oh, he must like this the way we do business here in Miami." Um, anyway, Evan Mobley, Evan Mobley, he had an elbow injury and missed a week, and the Cavs went zero and four. I think zero and four, zero and five when he was out. He's come back, and they're four and zero since he's come back and includes wins in Dallas and in Miami. Now Miami was without Bam Adebayo. We'll talk about in a minute, significant injury to him and Jimmy yeah. Butler missed the game. So, you know, this wasn't the heat of full power, but the Cavs won by 26 for the first time in 11 years. They'd lost 20 consecutive games in Miami. And the Cavs also beat the absolute breaks off the Mavericks. I mean, it was, I think it ended up being an 18 and Luka, point game, but it was, it was much more of a blowout than that. And Luca played well that night. Luca put up big double. numbers. Luca put up big numbers that night. And guess what happened in that game? Evan Mobley shut Porzingis right down. Now Porzingis sprained his ankle, so if you go look at the stats, it won't include a full game. He couldn't. He, I think, he sprained his ankle in the third quarter. Um, Evan Mobley has thirty-seven personal fouls this year and thirty-four blocks. Yeah, him and Allen are. Like, there's not a I, probably not a better defensive interior tandem in the league right now. That's right, and that is why the Cleveland Cavaliers are playing really well. The two of them together, the Cavs are third in defensive rating this season. They're 21st in offense. They are they are. Been, I'm trying to look up their numbers right now at the rim, but they have been dominant in the paint. Um, their their rim protection numbers are great, and you know in a league where everybody's playing small. Um, to have two seven-foot size guys with that length and athleticism roaming around making plays, 
who can also get out and guard people on the perimeter some. Um, it, it's, you know, it's allowed them to really have a solid foundation. It's totally, um, it's totally turned that team around. And you think yeah. about where the Cavs were a year ago, they get uh, Jared Allen. You know, I will never understand why the Rockets threw him in, uh, threw him to them for a pretty bad first round pick from the Bucs. Uh, in that trade, they also took Tory and Prince. They took some money in the deal and, and well. took money, but they. To, but by to, the way, they flipped Tory and Prince into Ricky Rubio, who's a big part of their. Success. That's right. But you go from you go from you get you have a late first round pick from the Bucks. You turn that into Jared Allen. You jump up in the lottery to the third pick. You get Evan Mobley. All of a sudden, you got these two guys on your team for a long time, uh, and you know I, I think really for the first time, legitimately since LeBron left. If you're a Cavs fan, I, I think there's a lot to be excited about. Yeah. And I think you, I think you got to give JB Bickerstaff a lot of credit for, you know, we talked about like what a weird roster this is where there's basically no wings. Um, You know, you got marketing playing the three, which is just in today's NBA, frankly, you know, pretty bizarre. Um, Colin Sexton gets hurt early. He's out for the year with a knee Uh, that, you know, there's a guy who's probably going to be their, their leading scorer for the season. And JB's just found a way to kind of make these pieces fit. And yes, it does help that one of those pieces is Evan Mobley, who, uh, you know, is, is as impactful as a, you know, a rookie can be early in the season. Certainly that helps, but he is, you know, JB has put him in position to really uh, kind of play up to his peak potential so far this season. JB Bickerstaff, just to point something out. And obviously, the roster has changed. Two years ago, the Cavs were 30th in defense. DFL. Last year, 25th in defense. Bontemps just told you they're third. And guess what? Cavs have played the toughest schedule in the NBA thus far. They're 12 and 10. If you weighted it, they're probably really performing more like a a 15 and seven, 16, and you know, if you, you know, 16 and six type team, to be honest with you, they play the toughest schedule in the league so far. Um, and they've had injuries. Mobley's missed time. Colin Sexton is out for the year. Mm-hmm. Um, Garland is, I think missed a little bit of time. Uh, uh, Darius Garland, who's having a breakout third year. Yep. He's um, playing well too. Uh, so by the way, the strength of schedule ratings, um, the Lakers have the 28th strength of schedule. They're 12 and 11. The Cavs have the first strength of schedule. They're to a tier 12 and 10. You tell me which teams are performing better. Well, and, and, and I first looked at the toughest, that, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I found that I found the shot numbers too. So opponents within five feet of the rim uh, are shooting 57.4% against the Cavs. That is the best mark in the entire league. Yeah. Uh, against the number one schedule. Um, okay. So we mentioned Bam at a bye. We've got a bunch of injury things that have Oof. happened here. Um, bad week uh, for injuries. Uh, Bam tore a ligament in his thumb, uh, had surgery. I think he's had surgery Wednesday. Um, <clears throat> the Heat have played great this year. Uh, they cooled off defensively since they were super hot start, um, but definitely a contender to win the East. Um, this is not a seasoning and the injury. Uh, historically, I think Jeff Stotts, uh, the Heat did not announce a timetable. Jeff Stotts, um, uh, who tracks NBA injuries, you can follow him on Twitter. Uh, Bontemps, what's his handle? Um, uh, in street clothes. In street clothes, right. He said that historically, uh, the data that he has shows that the average time away is seven weeks for this type of injury. So you're looking at, you know, a significant injury. You're looking at pressing up maybe not quite to the all-star game, but you're going to be in the neighborhood of the all-star. Yeah. Game best case scenario is about a month. Yeah. That's best case. You know, there have been right. guys who've come back in a month, but you know, he's saying average is seven weeks. Right. So you should probably, you know, Jeff's history is not bad <laughs> when he makes calls on stuff. So that sets, uh, that sets him back on temps. Yeah, no question. I mean, you, you look at the heat, you know, they came into this season, um, thinking they could be a, a real challenger to the Nets and the Bucks atop the East. And early on when they've had their guys, they've looked like that level of a team. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't have a lot of size on the roster. I mean, they've got Dwayne Dedman, who's a solid backup center um, behind Bam. And then really after that, it's Udonis Haslam and Omer Yurtseven, um, who's a, a young guy. I mean, that's easy for that, you to say. 
that's <laughs> that's those are really the only options. Six. Right. You need your six. <laughs> so it's going to be very interesting. And Marquise Morris is still out after uh, yeah. after you know you got uh, I think the Heat are calling a whiplash, but he he aggravated a neck injury against um when he got shoved by Jokic uh, in that game in Denver a few weeks ago. So um, Jimmy Butler's banged up. Obviously, right. that's problematic. And in and look in the Eastern Conference, you know it, it is not easy on a night to night basis. And you know right now the Heat are, you know, they're sitting in the middle of the pack in the East. I think they're in fourth or fifth place. And the gap from, you know, first or third to 11th is like two or three games. And right now, the, the Heat are going into Thursday night's games. The Heat are fifth in the East. They're 13 and nine. And they're two games ahead of 11th place. So yeah. it, there's not a lot of margin for error in one injury and one, um, you know, one you know, prolonged slump for a team can have you go from looking at home court advantage in the first round to fighting to make the playoffs at all, even in the, in the playing tournament. So you know what else has happened to the heat this year? Oddly, they gave Duncan Robinson was a five mm. and 80. Yep. I'm sure Duncan Robinson is going to be fine, but he has been in a season long slump. Well, he's, he's shooting... one of, he's one of several guys who's been in season long slump this year. He yeah, had, he, he wasn't, he wasn't a trillionaire last night because he did miss seven shots. He did have one steal and two fouls. But in 20 minutes, no points, no rebounds, no assists. Yeah, not great. Yeah. And, so, and look, uh, a lot of and a lot of what Duncan Robinson does, like some of his best success with the Heat is playing a two-man game with Bam. That's a yeah. big part of what they do with him. And not having Bam out there to do that is going to be a problem. So he's only shooting 31% from three-point range this year. He shot 41% last year, I believe. And this is strange. And I know he doesn't he doesn't go to the line that often, but we're talking about a guy who is a career almost 90% free throw shooter. He's shooting 62% at the line this year so far. He like, should sit Wilson. <laughs> that's I guess I've had interesting. He is, I've had he this is five he, for, he is he is five for eight, just to be clear. So I mean or, or maybe oh, maybe he's he only, he only five for eight. Okay. It's literally five I, for I, eight. I, okay, I so maybe maybe he should that, maybe sorry. should give Spalding a uh, a cut of his contract. I take back the free throw thing. I thought it was I didn't know it was that low of a sample size. Sorry. Well, he I makes think two, he makes a, two more. He's enough. back. I think that's enough to jump to grand conclusions. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we also have uh, Brooke Lopez getting back surgery. Um, this ain't good, Bon Temps. Uh, no, it we, is we not. Knew that, we knew that when they signed Boogie Cousins, the, the mm. Bucks signed Boogie Cousins, they obviously needed a, probably a, a short to medium term uh, help there. The Bucks are playing really well. But, by the way, the last 25 seconds of the Bucks Hornets game on Wednesday night was as crazy as enjoyable as you will see in the NBA. Oh, yes. Highlighted by LaMelo Ball, who had 36. I think he had eight threes. Uh, hitting a three to tie the game. And then Mike Budenholzer running this super awesome creative play to get Giannis ahead of steam to the basket. And he made this like preposterous reverse with his back turned layup that was crazy to get the game winner. The Bucks are doing just fine, but... Um, <clears throat> And, uh, and you know, they didn't say what the nature of the back surgery was, um, but the surgeon who he went to in Los Angeles um, is a guy who's done a lot of major back surgeries for NBA players over the years. Um, and it ain't good is probably yeah. my guess, Bontemps. No, I mean, look, when I saw the Boogie Cousins signing, I assumed there was going to be some news like this coming because the Bucks had been without Brooke Lopez for a while and hope had been, he was going to rest and rehab his back. And um, that would allow him to avoid having surgery. And, you know, there'd been some talk when I was around them a couple weeks ago that for um, when they're on the East coast, that maybe he'd be back fairly soon. Um, then obviously that didn't happen. And then when you just see, you know, the Marcus cousin signs with the bucks sort of out of nowhere makes you go, all right, this seems like this is going to be a pretty long-term situation. They need to have a body, um, to fill in. And now, you know, we'll see how long Brooke is going to be out, but back surgery is not a minor thing. And you got to expect this is going to be a pretty lengthy absence. And, you know, otherwise it wouldn't have signed to Marcus in the first place. He's already playing without Brooke. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, this is, this is a, a, a pretty big cause for concern for them. But the one thing I will say 
when you look at the Bucs going into the playoffs, you would have to assume that really unless they're playing against the Sixers, um, and I guess maybe against the uh, against the Suns if they play them in the finals because of DeAndre Ayton, pretty much every other team they're going to play, you would think they're going to want to play Giannis Tedekumpo a lot at center. Yeah. So if, if in the long run, That's if true. there's one small bit of positive out of this, it's that the Bucs have basically been playing Giannis at center, and he's been unbelievable this season. He and is. Uh, yeah. That that extra time having him fully kind of integrate as a center, something he has not really wanted to do a lot of in the past, um, that could pay dividends for them down the road uh, if they're playing that way. Huge minutes in you know these high level playoff series against you know whether it's the Nets or um, or the Warriors or the Suns or um, you know any of these elite teams are going to have to play down the road. Yeah, and in the uh, least surprising injury, unfortunate injury update of the day. Yeah. Zion left foot soreness again. Come back on hold. Well, this is the first time he's reported soreness as far as we know. Yeah. But it's it's another injury setback again. Well, and we're not um, going to see him before Christmas. Who knows when we'll see him? Um, honestly, at this point, the two big questions about the Pelican season are when will we see Zion and how high will they end up in the lottery? So. Yeah, I mean, they have played a little bit better the last couple of weeks. Um, in other words, they've gotten a couple of wins. Well, they beat the uh, Jazz in Utah, and it, that was an abs- like it was a unspeakably horrific home loss for the Jazz, and the Jazz came back. No, the they, next but, night. but they won. I mean, yeah, they did. You know, things didn't go I mean, so great did. on Wednesday night against the uh, the old Dallas Mavericks. No, the, the the Mavs had a nice performance, shooting a team record sixty nine percent from the floor. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't don't risk it click it or ticket paid for by nitsa nice 32 point home loss right i mean they were like two and 14 and now they're six and 18 coming into today so They've kind of been playing around 500 ball. They they have, by the way, yeah, they have their, their last two losses to the Jazz on the second night of the back to back and to the Mavs are by a combined, I think, 1,812 points. I Brandon Ingram was 11 for 17 for 29 points in that game and was minus 32. That is that is hard to do all the way around. Yeah. So, so just that well and be that far below lower water on plus minus. I mean, right now, okay, heading into the games of Thursday night, they are five and a half games out of the play in. Okay, just found we're out not going to talk about how far they are out of the play. And we're going to talk about how far they are out of the top or out of the bottom four. I know. But my point is like your Zion is the most important thing you got going. I mean, it's, I mean, I, I don't know why we would see not see. I, I would say Zion will see you like in March. I, I mean, mm. I, I, you've yeah, got to knows? protect, you've got to protect him. Um, you know, the, the problem is from from an evaluation standpoint for people like us, the Pelicans haven't been straight with yeah. his injury since this happened. So it's very difficult to take what they are. And not only that, it's very clear that Zion's uh, Zion and his family want all inf- medical information kept very close to the vest. And therefore, the Pelicans can't be forthcoming. And so we can't take what they say at face value. So maybe it is just soreness, but I can't take that at face value. 
Well, it also um, is very, our colleague Andrew Lopez reported that there is no plans to do re-imaging on his foot, which seems very strange. Uh, this and, is what know, I don't but understand. Again goes, but it again goes to the way they've handled this entire thing, which has been strange from the beginning. And you really right. can't trust anything they say. Right. I just can't parse it because I don't know what's real because, you know, as they have, they've given updates on Zion every two weeks. I mean, first they gave no updates for months and sprang it on everybody. Then they said he'll be ready for opening day. And he said, he'll be ready for opening day. And then of course, opening day is two months ago and he's still not playing. And then they, every two weeks, they keep saying, well, we're waiting for more scans. We're waiting for more scans. I mean, this guy's getting scanned, you know, like a boarding passes at the airport. And then we have an actual potential injury and they're saying no scans. So the yes. whole thing doesn't make yeah, sense. There's been more twists in the story than wins that yeah. they have. And they have six wins. Yeah. And so. it's very unfortunate because this guy is a stud. He's an absolute stud. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, you want to see guys like him and John Morant playing. We don't want yeah. to see, you know, Jaws out with a, a knee thing and, you know, Zion's out. I mean, you want, no one wants to be talking about, I don't want to be talking about Zion again, not being able to play. Like he's super fun to watch. The league's better when healthy guys are healthy and playing. I think that goes without yeah. saying. But like, I'm just gonna be honest with you. Like nobody is coming to Pelicans games. No. And it's a, it's a, you know, attendance is a, a quiet problem in the NBA right now. And like, this is a reason it's a loud problem Pelicans. at Pelicans games. No, it's yeah. a silent problem. <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> um, so that's, um, this, you know, that's just a very distressing set of events. Um, because, uh, you know, I, it's going to be an effort for this not to be a lost season for the Pelicans. They, they, Obviously, it can still pivot, but it's going to be an effort, and that is not what you need when you have a team structured like that. Well, and hey, there's one other there's one other thing too to to look at, and obviously this is down the road, but we're seeing what's happening with the Denver Nuggets after extending a guy in Michael Porter Jr. who had um, you know pretty extensive injury history, um, mm-hmm. had one really strong year, and then didn't look right to start this season. Now has had back surgery and is out indefinitely. I mean, is Zion is unable to play hardly at all this year, let's say, if it comes to that with this foot injury. They've got a pretty huge decision to make in terms of what they want to do with an extension for him in a right. in a very in a small market. Like, you know, are you going to say, yeah, Zion, we're going to give you a five year extension, let alone whether he you know, there's obviously been all this talk about how happy he is there or not. But like, that's a huge decision for them to make regardless of his talent and star power to decide whether to give him $200 million to be there for five more years. Yeah. If he's basically not played like it's, well, thing it's on, just, well, a, you either have a possible spot. You either have to bite the bullet and give him that money or get a bunch for him in a sign and trade. So you, you only have two options. Well, okay. So the thing on Porter and, you know, I don't expect the nuggets to be transparent on this because it's, you know, it's, privacy issues and also it's just very problematic when did they know his back was bothering him and <laughs> before they drafted him well that's you're right but like he he did not look good in the preseason uh you know i went to see them play in the preseason and he missed a dunk in that game mm-hmm. and i remember thinking I, he, he just didn't move well at all that night and i knew he thinking, was wrong when they played the Cavs, and larry marketing was guarding him and he couldn't he didn't even really attempt to do anything with him. He just sort of floated around the whole game. Right. But like there, there's the, the footage that's gone around where he he's here. He, he's like on a breakaway and he can't get up to finish a dunk. And he's like almost seven foot, obviously an indication of problems, but I'm telling you in mid October or in early October, I watched him and he didn't, wasn't able to dunk the ball. He had a similar type of play in a preseason game in Oklahoma city. I was at, um, now he had already signed at that point. Um, it, it happened maybe a week or two before. So, you know, it's an uncomfortable question for the nuggets. You know what, you know, obviously he's not going to have insurance on his back. He's had two surgeries on it. Now this is three. Um, so they're going to be on the hook for the whole money. And they obviously negotiated some terms in there to, to protect the team a little bit on some of the guaranteed money, but obviously the majority of it is not all. So you don't know, um, when did, you know, when did they know? And so like the thing with Zion is, and this is also a thing for Zion himself, however Zion feels about the Pelicans, if they come to him with a, with a max contract offer, yeah, he's got to take it. I mean, they've and, had, they've had 168 games, regular season games since they drafted Zion Williamson. He's played in 85 of them. 
He's missed 83. Right. And it's that's going to expand. It's going to so, expand by a lot. Part of this, I would say, for Zion is... I'm not going to take the cheap joke. Right. It's like, you got you to, gotta, you know, if they offer you the max, you know, don't play any games. <laughs> um, you know, something else that's a, that's a factor is his qualifying offer. So this is getting into the, this is getting into the nitty nitty gritty, but like, he's got to play a certain number of games. You know what? I'm not even going to get into that. That's, that's, that's only going to get me in trouble. Yeah. Hey, um, hey, can we talk about the only team underneath the Pelicans in the West standings and also the second hottest team in the conference? They may not be underneath it for much longer. The red hot, suddenly sizzling Houston Rockets. I mean, my goodness, you go Lay from a, a 15 game losing streak and now a four game uh, winning streak. Now, granted, two of those were against the uh, not especially motivated to win this season, Oklahoma City tankers. But uh, still, I mean, to beat the Bulls, to beat the Hornets at home, to, to end the streak, uh, you know, I just just a little tip of the cap to Steven Silas. You know, he kind of had to ride the two big starting lineup for. I'm sure longer than he really wanted to just to prove without a shadow of a doubt that, Hey, this is not it. Um, once they pulled the plug on Daniel Tice and not that it was necessarily his fault, it's just a fit issue. Suddenly Christian Wood is lightened up. Jay Sean Tate looks like a, uh, you know, a slightly slimmer version of, of uh, New York Knicks version of Anthony Mason, 32 points last night. Well, yeah, and, and he's a he's, he's a you know he's a six foot four, two hundred thirty pound power forward with playmaking abilities. Like a very unique, weird player. If you want to be cynical, you can say, "Well, yeah, boy, they've gone on this winning streak since Jalen Green got hurt." And Jalen Green is obviously very talented. Also, not exactly a player who's helping you win uh, at nineteen years old, a month into his rookie season. Um, you know, and the winning streak won't last forever. They do have the magic coming through, but Christian Woods kind of game to game with it after tweaking his ankle and Kevin Porter Jr. who had the <laughs> the Russell Westbrook tribute triple-double that the NBA said, no, that one was too obvious. We can't give you that rebound. <laughs> um, yeah. he, he's, he might miss a he few was, games. Just so people know, he was one rebound short of his first triple-double and there was a missed shot and like, Basically, his teammate, the ball was bouncing on the ground. It was almost rolling on the ground. And his well, teammates like grabbed him and yeah, Shingun instead of yeah, Shingun instead of grabbing the rebound, like tipped it into open space. And his teammates were like basically jumping up and down. Josh Christopher is literally jumping up and down, pointing right. at pointing at Porter, pointing yes. the ball. It, yeah, so, I so mean he had a triple double kind of a, for about 12 hours. It was actually hours. kind of a tender moment because they were doing it for their teammate. It wasn't a selfish moment. Yeah, you know, it was, and it, it was and it the shows, opposite of Ricky Davis. Definitely. Yeah, it does show some some team chemistry and and you know, but again, I just think uh, a little shout out to Stephen Silas, whose seat was heating up despite the fact that they're clearly. That's what I want to ask you about. That was the thing that was. I I don't. I think it got reported a little Jake bit. Jake Fisher but it was with Bleacher Report. It mm-hmm. definitely okay. I didn't know it was Jake. It definitely in the NBA there was discussion about whether the Rockets were thinking about making a coaching change within circles and i would be like are you crazy i mean like to well, be, be honest with me mcmahon what do the rockets actually expect a, a team right part of the reason why they're winning is because they're not playing two teenage guards i know porter's not a teenager they're not playing two teenage guards anymore because yeah, that's porter how did come back NBA. and play porter played pretty well in those first three wins but yeah um and, well, and but they're again, not playing. Brian was saying they're not playing him and Jalen Green at the same right. time. That was right. What he was and saying. and and again, he kind of had to go with the two bigs because they signed Tice after drafting Shingoon, and and you're not, you know, so and they like so he was kind of forced to play a starting lineup that just doesn't work, and then right, which is what you do when you have young players. It's oh, it's like it's like it's like what are they? I, I say, what are they trying to accomplish? Yeah, so. Here's the thing. The Rockets knew this is like an early rebuild season. They knew it was going to be a rough season. They didn't think they were going to be like potentially the worst NBA team in history. And it did have that feel after they'd lost 15 straight. And I don't think, well, I'll say this. I do, you know, obviously I've talked to some people and it's not like nobody there wants to fire Silas. Um, but I, I can't sit here and tell you that, that Jake's reporting was off base. I'll put it like that. 
Uh, there, there's some concern that, you know, when they hired him, they hired him, you know, hoping they could keep Harden, kind of thinking, hey, this guy really has a lot of the same qualities as Mike D'Antoni. You know, we can, you know, he, he can kind of be good for us for the same reasons D'Antoni was. And then the job totally changed. It comes a full-fledged rebuild. So they need to see progress in the young players. I think you've seen that. Uh, with Porter, I think you've seen that with Tate. Even though he's mid twenties, he's he's an er, you know second year guy. Um, Green, you saw a little bit of progress, but you know, look, if you're playing Jalen Green thirty something minutes a night, it's like playing Anthony Edwards that much early last year. They're just not ready to contribute to winning, and and they honestly contribute right, a lot to is, losing at this point. Which is That's why you shouldn't be that focused on your record. You should be focused on that development. That's why I don't yeah. understand the Rockets sometimes. Like well, last year, they trade Harden, and then they like. When like it, they have a, they it, have a good two weeks and they declare they're ready for the playoffs, then they tank. Then this year they set themselves up totally to be awful to, to be in full development mode, which is fine. Yeah, and then they're angry when that leads to a bunch of loss or not angry, yeah, I mean, but surprised. It's well, I this think sort there of was, felt like this sort of felt like a perception issue again to go back to our tampering discussion, right, Tim? Yeah. Where if if they're not if they were if they were instead of one in 16, if they were four in 13, whatever the thing, whatever the record was, if they hadn't had a 15 game losing streak, that probably none of this really becomes a thing. Right. And now that they're six and 18 or whatever the record is now, yeah, if they win two or they win a couple out of two or three out of every 10 games. Like it probably doesn't come up again. Right. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. I think there was concern. Like if, if that 15 would have gotten to 18, 19, 20 like it did last year i think there was some concern that uh okay is they're going to be letting go of the rope but if there's you know it's i this four game win streak has been certainly <laughs> good timing for steven silas and i i would think and hope that it is calmed down any like his seat should be back to 70 degrees should be back to room temperature at this point uh there's some room temperature jokes i can make but i will not um all right <laughs> Thank you, McMahon. Thank you, Bontemps. Thank you to Jackson, our producer. Thanks for listening to Hoop Collective. Uh, we will talk to you guys all next week. Adios, amigos. Adios, amigos.